Good evening, everybody. It's, uh, wanted to take just a minute and uh, uh, thank everybody for, for all the prayers and everything. For uh, you know, Pretty much everybody knows by now uh, we lost uh, Wayne, my father-in-law, and uh, I was pretty close to him. And uh, it was just, uh, it, make, it makes such a difference having a, a good church family, doesn't it, when you have a, a time like that. So uh, we just, we really appreciate all the prayers and everything. And makes you think a little bit about how short life is, and how, how precious life is, how fragile. And uh, just uh, kind of wanted to mention, I heard about this yesterday for um, pretty much everybody also probably knows recently the uh, Supreme Court struck down the legal and moral abomination that was Roe versus Wade, right? So uh, I heard, though, that the uh, coming up in November, the Kentucky, uh, they're, they're, they're planning on putting a, a measure on the ballot to uh, make the Kentucky Constitution amended to where it would, uh, you, you know, to vote yes on that so that it would uh, uh, make abortion illegal in the state of Kentucky. Who knows, maybe God would spare our state for some trouble if we did that. But it just, it, it reminded me of like, you know, we would have done anything to have Wayne stick around with us a little bit longer. And then there's other people that just treat life like it's just, you know, throw it out with yesterday's trash. It kind of makes you sick. But um, anyway, you know, I've, I've been thinking a lot about, about death recently and, and those sorts of things, which I'm sure everybody does when you lose somebody close to you. And uh, me and Wayne talked a little bit, you know, before he got real sick. And uh, we talked about some of the regrets, you know, having regrets in your life, the things that you've done in the past. Um, but, you know, what, what's in the past can't be changed. Okay, so, you know, the question moving forward, what do we do now, right? Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know, it says here we're to press toward the mark of the prize. If the high calling, serving God is a high calling. You know, I used to, uh, me and this other guy, an old guy, Vietnam vet, we used to run a, a Bible study at a, at a drug rehab uh, center at the VA, and, and he used to say, listen, man, you know, Christianity is not for sissies. It's a high calling. You know, and, and I think he was right about that. Sometimes we get the idea, or, or the world does anyway, this caricature of Christians that they're a bunch of limp-wristed people, you know, you know God bless you, and, and that's not the way it is at all, right? Christianity is a high calling. But the verse I really wanted to focus on tonight is in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. I'll turn there now. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, Paul, uh, the Bible says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. So these, these Hebrew believers, uh, they, they, were, they, were, they were Jews. They had uh, many of them, at least, at least many of them, had believed on Jesus Christ. Some of them may have been fence-sitters. And Paul was warning them that you know, they were in danger of moving back, of going back to Judaism without Christ. And here they're exhorted to move on to perfection. So as I was coming up with this, I kind of, it, it kind of occurred to me, it seemed like a continuation of the messages over the last several weeks here. I was at the funeral a couple weeks ago, but I was told that Jimmy preached on uh, the simplicity that is in Christ. You know, the, the gospel is so simple that a child can understand it. And I just, I love that, that it doesn't take a PhD or a string of letters after your name to understand the gospel and how to be saved. But yet it's, it's, it's deep enough that the, the scholars of the last, you know, human history have not been able to fully explore it, right? And the, you know, the Gnostics and the Kabbalists, the Freemasons, groups like these, uh, they, they, uh, they teach that, you know, if you want to know the secrets of how to be saved and, and that sort of thing, come, come to our little secret group and we'll give you some secret knowledge that nobody else knows, right? And it's complicated and only a few get to understand. That's not the way it is at all. The Bible says that God is light, right? 
He's not, try, now he's, he's not trying to hide anything from anybody who wants it, right? If you want to be saved, the, the message of the gospel is for you. Speaking of the Freemasons, when we were, we used to go to a Southern Baptist church, and I remember back then when we did, when we were attending that church, the, uh, the, the Southern Baptist Convention came out with a statement that uh, they had found, they did some studies and found out that Freemasonry, uh, Freemasonry was completely incompatible with Christianity. But then they refused to pass a resolution condemning it and, and forbidding their members from joining it. Why? Because the, half the Southern Baptist Convention is Freemasons. I came to find out that half of the little church that we, it was a tiny church that we attended, ha, more than half of them were Freemasons down there. So I, I'm, I maybe, maybe do somewhat of a message on it someday, but yeah, Freemasonry, if, if, you know, if you're in that or know anybody involved in that, it is absolutely, completely, 100% incompatible with biblical Christianity, right? So anyway, uh, Jimmy preached on that. Then Mike last week preached on the security that we have in Christ, and I love that too. The fact that if you're believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, your salvation is secure in Christ. It can't be taken away. First Corinthians one, or I'm sorry, First Thessalonians one three says, uh, Paul says, "For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance." Hebrews chapter six that we're in here, and look in verse eleven. He says, and we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence unto the full assurance of hope unto the end. If you want, you can look in chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. One of the, you know, sometimes you'll hear some folks attack this doctrine as, well, you know, if you believe in, in uh eternal security if you believe you're secure in christ well that that means you're just giving people a license to sin you know and then they can just go and live and act however they want to but here that you know paul's telling he says the same paul that says we can have assurance tells us to cast off the works of darkness you know no we don't have a license to sin anybody that would teach that has evidently never read the whole bible romans chapter six and other places right and me and i know me and brad were talking about it one time just because there may have been some people at some time that abuse a certain doctrine out of the Bible, that doesn't negate the doctrine. It doesn't show that the doctrine isn't true just because some people go and would abuse that doctrine, right? So now maybe that you've been saved, hopefully, well, what now? Because there's, there's, I'm afraid too many people that are just content to get saved and then spend the rest of their spiritual lives, the rest of their physical lives, as spiritual children. Paul told the Corinthians that they were babes in Christ, that they should have been more advanced in the faith by now, but they, they weren't. Why? Because they were carnal. Right? They were not moving on to perfection like he tells us to do in the book of Hebrews. Right? Jesus said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. You talk about a high calling. Right? It's being, you know, we, sometimes we might think, you know, blow that off. Well, I can't be perfect, right? but if Jesus Christ is living in you, he is perfect, is he not? So the more of him that you're going to let shine through yourself, the more perfect you'll be. Amen? So Romans chapter 13, I'm going to turn to for a minute. Let me go over there. Romans 13 and verse 12, he says, The night is far spent, the day is at hand, the day of Christ he's talking about. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not, uh, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. So if we're moving on towards perfection, there's going to be some other things that we're moving away from, Right? That's the biblical doctrine of separation. Paul says, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. We are supposed to, we're not supposed to you know, look and act and smell like the rest of the world does. Okay? We are to be separate in our, in our conduct, right? 
So um, I, I looked up this. It's pretty obvious what he's talking about, except where he says not in chambering. I looked this up. Um, and without getting too deep into it, apparently this idea of chambering has to do a lot with uh, today what we would call shacking up, right? Uh, unmarried people living together, moving in together, right? I looked this up. Uh, the BBC says the number of cohabitating couples is outpacing married couples and lone parent families, increasing more than 25% between 2008 and 2018, okay? So there's a lot of people doing that today. The BBC also says that people born in the 1970s uh, who were shacking up, uh, about 25 to 27% of them split up within two years of moving in together. So evidently it's not working out too well. But then uh, people between, born between 1985 and 1990, 43% of them had split up within two years. Okay, and I, I didn't look up any more statistics. I'm sure it's even worse today. Even, even unfortunately married folks in the church and outside, they say about 50% of them today are ending in divorce. Don't you want something better than what this fake, temporary, materialistic world has to offer. I mean, moving in with some dude who is afraid to commit to you is, is probably not a good idea, right? It's not going to work out well. In Romans chapter 13, back there where we left off in verse 14, uh, he says, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So I'll, go, I'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 now wanted to touch on something here. Verse 24 through 27. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainty, uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. You know, there's sure a whole lot that, that we could uh, talk about on that, but that sure sounds like somebody who's moving on to perfection to me, doesn't it? If you look in 1 Corinthians, just a couple chapters ahead in verse 13, verse 11. I'm sorry, chapter 13, verse 11. He says, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. I'm afraid that um, maybe some of us today need to put, it, uh, put away some childish things, don't we? I, I, now, don't get me wrong, I enjoy some leisure time just as much as the next guy, I'm not trying to put anybody down, right? But I looked this up on marketingcharts.com. 76% of Americans today play video games on a regular basis at an average of 16.5 hours per week. Now, I don't know whether that they were referring to just all 70, uh, 76% of all Americans or just adults that were old enough to answer the question. I don't know. I, I just went based on all of Americans, but you know, it would be even worse if they were only counting people that could answer questions, right? So anyway, there's 329.5 million people in America today. 76% of that is a little over 250 million people. That means that 250 million people playing video games for 16.5 hours a week, that's 4.1 billion hours a week in our country that people spend playing video games. Okay? Now, that doesn't count the time they spend on YouTube and surfing the net and watching movies on Netflix and all this other garbage, right? Okay, this is just video games. Sounds like some people may need to, to grow up and move on to perfection a little bit, right? How do you, how do you think our country may look? If we were to take, as a nation, were to take 4.1 billion hours every week and invested those hours in our families, you think the character of our nation might improve a little bit? Right? 
Maybe, I mean, if nothing else, just to put it towards doing something useful, something productive, maybe our GDP would increase a little bit with 14, or four, whatever it is, 4.1 billion hours a week more put towards something productive, right? Rather than rotting your brains with, with video games. That's not even to mention all the filth and violence and all this other stuff that's in the games today. It's not like Mario Brothers like it was when I was a kid. Now you can do pretty much anything you want to do on a video game, right? Anyway, I've been uh, reading a book lately. It's a, it's a really... I think a fascinating book written by a fellow named Rory Groves. He was a, a computer engineer, software engineer or something, and he was uh, he tells a story about going to work for a new company, and they they showed him they had this they had a coffee bars, they had cafeterias, they had a weight room they, you know, with gym equipment, they had all this stuff at this new company he was going to work for. He thought, wow, you know, this is really cool. And then the next week they laid everybody off after he started, right? And he started to think, wow, wait a minute, you know, there's the, something. Something isn't right here. And he, he started his own company, but anyway, he, he started to do some research. He thought, you know, every as a computer software engineer, the stuff that is state-of-the-art today, a year from now, is completely obsolete. I'm constantly having to retrain. I'm not going to have any skills to pass on to my children because they're going to be obsolete, right? So he did a study on what, uh, what trades are, have, have stood the test of time. You know, they have, not, have basically been unchanged for the last several hundred years. And, you know, he talks about carpenters and farmers and things like that. Okay, it's a, it's a really fascinating book. I'm not done with it yet. But he has this quote I wanted to share with you in there. I thought this was really interesting. He said, our forebears did not think of work as modern Americans do today. The famed Puritan work ethic shared by early settlers was real. To them, work was a form of worship. And vocation, a divine calling, not something to be avoided through labor-saving devices. Okay? That's biblical, too. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, he says, Whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as unto the Lord and not unto men. I need to remember that myself sometime at work when, you know, you're dealing with people that, you know, bosses that are, you know, uh, maybe even customers that are, you know, work to the Lord, not unto men, right? He continues. He says, The biblical idea of work as worship had to be undone before people were ready to submit to the idea of leisure, comfort, and wealth as acceptable pursuits in and of themselves. So the world, you know, of course, getting everything wrong, they're going to take the idea of work, and they're going to mess it up on one of two sides. You're either going to become a bunch of overachieving workaholics, right, where the Bible says in Proverbs, labor not to be rich, right? Or they're going to go on the other side and say, well, it's a whole lot easier to sit on a hind end on a couch and collect welfare and food stamps, right? The Bible says, again, if a man will not work, neither shall he eat. Right. So anyway, to move on to perfection, we're going to be laboring not for more income, but for that which doesn't pass away. Right. We've got to be moving away then also from national and personal idols. I've talked about this before. You know, everybody knows that, that sports has become an idol. I get I get kind of irritated sometimes. We go to pick kids up on the bus and you know, where are they at today? Oh, they're playing soccer. It's their you know, football or whatever today. OK, you know, we see where your priorities are, really. OK. Um, education, we all know how, how education is. I've talked about this before, I know, but it, it's, it's, it's a common theme. Uh, having a good Christian education is very important, but some people look at it as, as messianic. You know, how do you think we're gonna, we can save the country? Oh, it's, it's through education. You hear that a lot, right? Uh, but anything that's looked at as a savior other than the Lord Jesus Christ is blasphemy. I, I, this, from that same book, he brings up, he, somebody else had done the studies, he quotes them. In 1850, the literacy rate in Massachusetts was 97%. Okay, 
Okay? And it was even higher in some of the surrounding states, but that was two years before compulsory attendance laws. 20 years later, it was 93%. And now today, we've all seen the news stories of people, you know, kids in some areas of the country are graduating and not even able to read their diplomas. Right? The, the, these blue state colleges that people are going to today, that, you know, we're sending our kids to. Today, 11, for one of the, among the professors, the liberal to conservative ratio is 11.5 to 1. Okay? Now, that's of all professors. If you take the youngest professors that are moving up to college, it's 23 to 1. Right? I'm not a betting man, but that doesn't sound like very good odds to me. Right? If you're going to send your kids to college, you better just pay close attention to what you're doing. It's become an idol. Okay? Alcohol and drugs, of course, is, is another idol. I, I was wondering, you know, I was thinking about playing Rook with, uh, with Wayne and, and a couple of you all over there at the at 4th of July party. You know, two months later, he's in the ground, you know. But uh, I remember when I was a kid, uh, you used to be able to get a lot more powerful firecrackers and stuff than you get today, right? I mean, you used to get, like, M80s and cherry bombs, and my favorite was the quarter stick. Remember, that was a quarter stick of dynamite. I, I remember the first quarter stick I ever got. Um, I, I didn't realize how powerful these things were, and I, I, we had this little wooden dog kennel thing out back. I set that thing in there and lit the fuse and, hey, Dad, watch this. You know, he was out in the yard and he was not happy that day. I'll just say that. (laughs) Neighbor lady came running out. She thought her husband had blown his tractor up, right? But, uh, you know, back then you used to see in the newspapers on July 3rd every year, some dude in there that had, you know, like this, and then the article would be like, be careful, don't blow your fingers off, the fireworks tomorrow, right? (laughs) Then, of course, the next day, July 4th, there'd be somebody in the emergency room like this, right? And so what do they do? They, of course, they ban fireworks because they're much too dangerous for us imbeciles, you know, uh, the hoi polloi sitting in here. But I would like to know, I don't know if anybody's ever done a study on it, how many of those accidents were actually due to alcohol? How many of these guys that blew their fingers off were drunk? I want to know that, right? But, and I'm not making arguments for or against prohibition. I'm just saying, like, they, they would, the thought of, like, the alcohol being a problem never even crosses their mind. They wouldn't even think of it because it's an idol, right? We need to, to get rid of the fireworks, of course. That, that'll keep people safe, right? Of course. So anyway, the, 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 I can remember also that, you know, the, the, the family get-togethers back then, we used to have, you know, instead of sitting around playing on cell phones, right? You imagine a cadre of, of drunken Pollocks throwing lawn darts, you know? Oh, yeah. well, I used to see that as a kid. Some of you probably don't even know what a lawn dart is. When's the last time you saw a lawn dart for sale, right? <laughs> but, you know, got, oh, I can still get the alcohol, though, right? Yeah. Okay. So the, the more that secular society wants to fix these problems, the worse they become. Have they, have they, in 1994, I looked this up, you know, I remember when I was a kid, you'd buy a box of chips or something, and it, there would be no nutrition facts on there. They started that in 1994, and, uh, which I don't mind that. I mean, I, I kind of like to know what's in the, the food I'm buying or whatever, but have, has it really made people healthier since 1994? I mean, since we started getting the information on the calories and carbs and all that stuff on our food? Not really. Probably, we're probably worse. From what I understand, we're, we're worse off today, right? Have, have gun laws, seatbelt laws, outlawing firecrackers, you know, have all these things made life better for us, really? Even drug laws have become practically useless. Why? It's because these things are not done in the fear of God, right? They want, they want, to, they want to take God out of your ordinary life. You know, they, they don't want you to think about God at all throughout the week, but then they want to, to turn around and go ahead and legislate things that come as natural byproducts of living a godly life and doing what the Bible tells us to do, right? I have, some of you I'm sure have heard of, of Friedrich Nietzsche, the, uh, I think it was German, is a, a, a 
atheist philosopher. I think he was devil-possessed. Um, but I actually have a favorite quote from Friedrich Nietzsche, believe it or not. Uh, one time he was sitting around with some of his atheist friends, and they were sitting around trying to think, you know, how can we, uh, without God, how can we have this great society, this utopia, wherever, you know, we'll do the most good for the most people, all this sort of thing. And, and Nietzsche got mad at him. He said, you know what the problem is with you guys? He's like, you threw away God, but you picked his pockets on the way out, right? What do you mean by that? It's exactly what he meant. He's like, these people, they, they want the results of a biblical lifestyle and a biblical nation, but they don't want to worship the God that is in charge of those things. You can't have it. You can't not have your cake and eat it too, as they say, right? Amen. So God tells Job, you know, he said, he, talking about the, the waves, you know, where he's created the, the oceans, you know, he talks about, you know, uh, talking about the, the, uh, the worst, thy proud waves shall be stayed. Hitherto shalt thou come and no further, right? God says that to the waves. You know, are, are we doing, do we do, would we dare to do that to the Lord? You know, tell him like, hey, listen, you, you, God, you can, you, your way, the things that you want in my life, you can, you can come so far, but no further, right? You can, you can tell me what to do on this and this and this, but you're not going to tell me, you know, over here, I, that, that's, that's, this is mine, you know. Do we, I think if we're honest, we probably all do that to some extent. You know, if, if we're honest with ourselves, right? But to move on to perfection, then, you know, we need to, to make your life count for something, right? That may look different for, for you than it does for me. Um, God gives us each, each one of us gives us different abilities, different talents and things. Find something to do for the Lord. You know, you find out what you're good at. And, and use that for the Lord. It's, it's not, that, uh, not that hard. I think sometimes, at least I used to do it myself, where I would, I would just get in these ruts where I think, like, I want to do something for God, but I, don't, I just don't know what he wants me to do specifically, you know, so I'd end up doing nothing. Whereas I think if we would just sometimes just get up off the couch and do something for just anything would be better than nothing. Get started. God will lead you. You know what I mean? That you see the, the wristbands and, and stuff, the T-shirts, WWJD, what would Jesus do? That's been kind of a popular phrase for a while. And, and I, I like that, to be honest with you. Um, the danger is, of course, if you, if you don't really study the life of Jesus Christ, you might start to think, what would Jesus do? Well, he might, you know, and then, and then you know, start to advocate something that he wasn't for. I think it, it's, I've, I've heard it said, uh, probably a better phrase would be, w, uh, what would it be? WDJD, what did Jesus do, right? Study his life a little bit, read your Bible and find out how he lives. And then he says, he says, follow me, right? So to move on to perfection, just follow the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're following somebody, okay, that means they're moving and, and there's, there's never going to be a point where you stop. He says, follow me. And he doesn't say stop, right? Just follow, follow the Lord Jesus Christ, Read your Bible. It's, you know, these things we, 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 we harp on all the time, but it's true. So are, are you, think of, the question I'll leave you with tonight is, are you, are you moving on to perfection in your Christian life? Or are you just kind of sitting there letting each, each day, each week, each month and year pass by the same as it ever was? Think about that a little bit tonight and, and, and just prayerfully ask the Lord what he might have you do for him. I, I guarantee you, if you had asked Pastor Muncy sometime, hey, Pastor, what, you got something I could do around here? He'd probably, his jaw would probably drop, and then he'd probably, I'm, I guarantee it, he'd have something that you could do for the Lord around this church even, right? But think about that tonight, if you, if you would. Are you moving on to perfection or not? That's only a question you can answer, and I'll, I'll leave you with that question tonight.